Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking the Ultimate Fighter 27 finale, Brad Tavares versus Israel Adesanya. Shaq, it's going down tomorrow, man, and uh, it's interesting because Israel Adesanya, this is his third fight in the UFC, and he's already taken on the 16-fight veteran and number eight guy on planet Earth, Brad Tavares. And yeah, this is a great fight because, you know, Brad Tavares has been looking the best he ever has on his win streak currently. And I mean, he's been taking care of business. He beat tough guys too, like Elias, Tylus, and Kristoff. Uh, so now he's facing this young upstart who, who's got a lot of hype, really doesn't have the opponents to, uh, you know, say that he's on Brad Tavares' level. But his uh, I thought he's uh, had some good performances in there. So we're going to see if he lives up to the hype. He definitely has, man. He's definitely someone you got to look out for. And uh I'm just curious to see if it's too much too soon. It might not be. He might already be at that level. So that's why I'm very intrigued for that fight. And real quick, obviously, everyone heard our UFC 226 breakdown yesterday. And, uh, you know, after we released that, the news came out that Max Holloway was pulled from the fight due to a concussion. And, uh, man, it sucks because he's only 26 years old. He's just a kid. He's already experiencing stuff like that. And we've seen in the past with guys like Holdsworth and TJ Grant, they never came back once uh, those concussion symptoms hit. So I really hope uh, shit works out for Max Holloway, Shaq. Yeah, it's unfortunate to see uh, to see something like that happen, and and you know for him it's a good thing that he that he uh, didn't fight because you know those type of things can uh, really you know change people's careers. So um, hopefully you know it's nothing too major. Hopefully he just needs some time off and uh, heal that brain. But uh, you know we'll just uh, put the interim title out there, and you know uh, we'll let Max heal up. Yeah, man, I'm hoping for the best. Uh, but this is this is super serious. I hope he can fight again. I hope he comes back looking good and. As far as Ortega, you know, people are talking shit. Oh, you won't take a one-day notice fight with Jeremy or Frankie. It's like, shut uh, your fucking mouth. <laughs> like, he earned that goddamn title shot. He he arguably has better wins than Max Holloway. He finished Hanato Moicano. He finished Frankie Edgar. Now we're going to talk about taking a fight ranked below, like, because uh, Max couldn't make it to the fight. And hell, fuck all that, man. He should, uh, he should wait for that title shot that he earned. For sure, 100%. Why on earth would he give Jeremy the opportunity of a lifetime on a day's notice? That makes no sense. Uh, Ortega did the right thing, and we saw what happened when uh, Frankie had his title shot and decided to fight, and uh, he, lo you know, he lost that title shot. So Ortega is making the right move here. Yeah, people are saying Ortega should return the favor to Frankie. He doesn't owe Frankie a fucking thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Frankie, Frankie didn't got have to take Frankie. that fight. Like, it was what it was. Frankie got knocked out in the first round. You know what's interesting? I've noticed Ortega's been playing little mind games with uh, with Holloway, too. I know the fight's canceled now, but he's, he's been saying some things. Like, for example, uh, he's been calling himself blessed a lot. He's been saying, I'm super blessed. Like, he's going out of his way to say it. Like, he's never said that before. And uh, there was another thing that he's been doing, too. Um, he's been saying it is what it is a lot. He's been kind of uh, subtly fucking with, uh, with Max Holloway a little bit. You been noticing that? Uh, I actually haven't, but I mean, Ortega plays mind games with a lot of people, you know, <laughs> it's funny because when he fought Moicano, he said that, uh, he thought Moicano all, all fight week thought he was comfortable. So it's interesting to see him pick up these, uh, these, like, uh, these reads that he gets off people. Yeah. And man, uh, I know I picked Max on the show and. But, man, uh, it was going to be an interesting fight is all I got to say, dude. Uh, shit was going to go down. It wasn't going to be a walk in the park like Max's last few opponents is all I got to say. Oh, yeah, 100%.
So now we got to break down this card, and you know we waited an extra day so we could see the final lineup, and now we got the final lineup, and we'll just keep it short on these ones that don't have odds, like this first fight between Tyler Diamond and Bryce Mitchell. We don't even have to give breakdowns; you can just give a pick. So you leaning with the D1 wrestler Tyler Diamond, or are you, or are you going with the the other semifinalist Bryce Mitchell? Man, I, I see Tyler Diamond got his ass beat last night, actually. By, by an old by, man. <laughs> by an old man. So, you know, I, I'm not too familiar with the other guy, to be honest. But I'm going to just say Tyler Diamond uh, wrestles his way to a, an eeks out of decision. Yeah, for me, it comes down to if this guy can manage that gas tank. Because uh, once he couldn't get that old man out of there, uh, he started to break really hard. People say that he fought on all heart. But, uh, you know, he kept pushing. But between you and me, he was broken in that first round. I don't know much about uh, this Bryce Mitchell kid, but I think that if he can uh, take this into deep waters, he can possibly win. So, you know, no no bet here, obviously. There's not even a line out yet, but uh, I'm going to go with Bryce Mitchell for what I think should be an upset because he probably will be the dog. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Oscar Pijota. He's minus 235. The comeback on Gerald Mershart is plus 195. It's an interesting matchup, man. We got the undefeated prospect taking on the grizzled vet. I mean, my boy Gerald Mershart's had 36 pro fights. Uh, you know, Oscar is uh, still making his way up the ranks. Uh, which way are you leaning for this one? You know, I got, I got a lot of respect for my boy, uh, Gerald Mershart, because, you know, he was that guy that, you know, got thrown right into the fire, you know, as a teenager. You know, he had to fight all these pro fights against all these vets. And, you know, uh, he had to get groomed the tough way. And, you know, Pihota, he's definitely uh, performed up to his hype so far in the UFC. I mean, the two guys that he's fought, he handled Wilson and... Um, <clears throat> And uh, who do you fight? Yeah, Tim Williams, the dude that's about to get killed by Eric Anders in a few <laughs> weeks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but we've we've yet to see what happens when things really get tough. We know that, you know, on the mat, he's got some super credentials. You know, he's like a European BJJ champ. And, I mean, we saw the power in his hands his last fight. And we know that GM3, he's like one of these guys where, you know, on tape he looks really bad. But when you get in there, you know, it's going to be a completely different thing because he knows how to adapt and he's so experienced. The guy knows uh, how to stay calm in every situation. And, you know, the thing uh, that I see in this fight is, you know, I think Pijota is just technically better than Mershart everywhere. Um, it's just a matter if if Pijota, you know, somehow gets that back and uh, doesn't finish him and they come back out for the second round and they get back up to the feet, is he going to be completely gassed? And, you know, well, because we know that when Mershard uh, gets back up to his feet in the scrambles, he uh, tends to turn it up a little bit and just keep coming forward, just like how he did against uh, Eric Spicely. So, you know, it's just a matter of how Pihota uh, stays calm when Mershard does put that pressure on him, because there is going to be moments where Mershard does put that pressure on him. But ultimately, I think Oscar's just too clean. I think, uh, you know... In that Jonathan Wilson fight, the only thing that I did see was that his legs did get a little bit tired after he uh, held that back on for a while. So I think uh, as long as he stays calm when Mershard puts that pressure on him, I think he's just too clean. I think Mershard's one of these finishers. You know, he doesn't uh, – he's not a very – when fights go to decision, he's not going to win. Just put it that way. You know, he's got a bunch of submissions, but he's also been submitted seven times, and he's uh, never won a decision in his career. So, you know, I'm going to go with B. Hota here. You know, it's interesting you bring up the fact that Mearshart's a finisher, not a decisioner, because a lot of people have this impression that he's a workman. But I'm here to tell you, out of 36 professional fights, he's only been the distance three times, Shaq. Uh, that's a, if that's not a finisher, I don't know what is, man. So the way I see this fight going, obviously, I think that Oscar Pijota has probably the higher ceiling between the two. I think he's a very bright prospect, but I also think that it's always first L time. And I think that the first round, Oscar's going to have some very dominant moments. Now it comes down to, 
can Oscar finish that fight in the first round? You know, can he knock him out? Can he take his back and choke him out? Because if he doesn't, man, uh, don't be surprised when Gerald weathers that storm and comes back in that second and third round and, and uses his experience and possibly even finishes Oscar Pijota. So for me, it's a super tough fight to call. And uh, a lot of people don't know about Oscar's black belt. The guy's a world-class black belt. I believe, isn't he a Robert Drysdale black belt, Shaq? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guy's got serious credentials. And you saw his last fight. He can knock uh, dudes out as well. I just think Gerald's got too much experience for him. It's not going to surprise. It's not going to surprise me if Oscar's already on that level and he comes out here and uh, gets his third UFC win. But you know what? I'm gonna go with the upset. So I'm gonna take uh, Gerald Mershart. Now next up in the featherweight division, we got Matt Bassett. He's minus 165. The comeback on Steven Peterson is plus 145. Now Steven Peterson, man, he's been involved in two very exciting fights inside the octagon. Obviously, you remember that fight with Benito Lopez on Contender Series, and uh, most recently the fight with Brandon Davis, which did get fight of the night. So you know my boy Richie Peterson, uh, he doesn't have problem uh, shedding blood on that UFC canvas. Now the question is, can can he beat a guy like Matt Bassett? Yeah, you know, um, at first I was thinking, you know. Bissett might take this one easy, but you know, when you look at both these guys, they're kind of similar. You know, they both paid their dues on the local scene um, and their various promotions, and they both, uh, you know, have a history of taking a lot of damage as well. You know, Peterson in his two UFC fights, he's lost, but he's put on great fights. And, you know, he's he's almost striking me as that guy that's, you know, going to be one of those entertaining fighters but not really uh win a lot you know i think he's tough i think he keeps moving forward constantly he's got a great volume of punches so you know if uh but i think what's going to play the factor here is the size i think steven peterson's a bantamweight i think he's uh fighting at 145 because he feels healthier but i think uh the difference here is going to be that when he does try to try to put that pressure on him i think he's just going to get pushed back in that and Bissett will just land the slightly harder punches, and Peterson cuts very easily. So does Bissett. They've both been knocked out, but I just think that Bissett has the, even though uh, Peterson has a more volume of punches, I think Bissett has the more cleaner, powerful punches. I think Bissett uh, is the better wrestler, even though Peterson's, I think they're very uh, fairly even across the board, but I just think uh, the physicality is what's going to win Bissett this fight. Yeah, I'm actually with you on this one as well, man. You know, uh, I remember when Matt Bissett upset Diego Nunes back in the day when Diego got cut from the UFC and, uh, you know, he was a huge favorite in that matchup. And Matt Bissett's a guy that's really paid his dues. Inside the cage as well, man. I mean, the guy's been around for a while, so, you know, he's a, he's a true badass. And Steven Peterson, too. But the thing with Steven Peterson is he's slightly better than a local scene fighter, but he's slightly below a UFC caliber fighter. So it's kind of an interesting middle ground with him. I mean, he's good enough to get a fight of the night bonus on the losing end, but I'm not quite convinced that he's actually going to win a, a single UFC fight, but we'll find out here. I'm going to go with uh, Matt Bassett here for the win. Shaq, so next up in the lightweight division, it's kind of funny, man, because because we got John Gunther, the guy we said, uh, the guy that I said would never make a UFC debut. It's funny, I lost a bet to you on that one because uh, apparently he was Stipe's friend, so he is making a UFC debut. He's taking on Alan Zuniga, and right now the, the odds are minus 185 for John Gunther. The comeback on Alan Zuniga is plus 160. So uh, which way are you leaning, Shaq? You know, at first, uh, you know, I was thinking how everyone was thinking, you know, that John Gunther is a complete joke and how, you know, he doesn't belong in the UFC. I, I didn't even think he could win the NFC title or, you know, the... Uh, the Invicta title, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, you know, Gunther, uh, but the thing is, when you look into it, Gunther, uh, you know, he's actually beaten a couple prospects out there. Like, he beat a guy that's fighting on Contender Series in a couple weeks, and, like, the guy's actually really good. Um, not Gunther, the other guy, but, you know, Gunther's a typical workman, you know, he just, he's, 
he's like a a watered down version of you know like a Chris Gritzmacher. You know he has he wants to move forward and eat shots and try to get you to gas out so that he can you know take you down or knock you out. And you know it's actually worked a lot. Uh, worked out for him a lot. I mean, his face is bloodied, uh, bloodied up a lot in those local scene fights, but hey, he got his job done and he got undefeated now on tough. I don't know what the hell was going on there. Like, that first one, I've never seen such horrendous shit in my life when he fought um, Gianetti. But, you know, when you're fighting a guy like Alan Zuniga, who's from Costa Rica, and you know we've already seen, we've already known that the uh, you know the Peruvian, the, the the Chileans, the Costa Ricans, you know their 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 uh, level of MMA is just fairly low. You know it's fairly new down there. So Zuniga, even though he's thirteen and oh, he's also a jobber. You know what I'm saying? So I think uh, Zuniga is definitely a better puncher and a de- uh, a better kicker. But I feel like he might not be smart enough to realize that you know. Let me manage my gas tank out here because Gunther's just going to come forward like an idiot, you know, trying to um, put pressure on him to get him to gas out. So I could see the fight going either way. I'm actually take my boy John Gunther uh, getting his uh, first UFC win. I'm going to go the opposite way, man. I'm going to go with Alan Zuniga. I'll never pick John Gunther in a fight ever. Uh, the guy, uh, I mean, that display we saw in Ultimate Fighter is probably the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, my boy Alan's a jobber as well, but uh, I-, I think he... I think he has the capability to find a way to win in this uh, specific spot. So I'm going to pick him here. Now next up, also in the lightweight division, we got Luis Pena. He's minus 370. The comeback on Richie Smolin is plus 310. Now between you and me, Shaq, uh, there's only one reason why Richie Smolin got this call to to make his UFC debut. And it's not because he's teammates with Conor McGregor either, Shaq. Yeah, you know, I think this is, you know, going to be a quick one. I think Pena's just too skilled for this guy. You know, Richie, just put it this way, you know, he flew out flew out from Ireland to uh to Vegas not to fight. Now, I understand, you know, there was some type of thing in his in his calves and I'm just saying, you know, everyone else flew out there and everyone else fought. You know what I'm saying? Uh Dan, so I can't really excuse it. So, and we know the history with these leg lock guys, you know, they, uh, they tend to go running a lot, Daniel. So I, th- I don't think there's anywhere, f- uh, anywhere for him to run. I think, uh, pain is just going to, you know, do his thing, whether it goes to decision, TKO, rear naked choke. He's a six, three lightweight. He's too, too long and tall. You know, I think, uh, his level of competition, his level of competition over here in America has been way better. You know, Richie's been fighting, you know, the young kids like the Rice McKees of the world and all, and he's been getting smashed by those guys. And, uh, now he's fighting, you know, the top prospect on the Southeast, who's a six, three lightweight. And we already know the success of a uh, six, three lightweight. So I'm going to take my boy, Luis Pena. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, a lot of people don't realize that these leg lock guys are some of the most mentally fragile guys in the game because the leg locks are such dangerous moves. I mean, you can blow someone's ACL, put them out for six months to a year, but when these leg lock guys don't get their leg locks, they always quit. I don't know what it is. I mean, I can't explain it, Shaq. Uh, winners win and losers lose. And when leg lockers don't get their leg locks, they quit. Uh, I don't know what it is, man, but I mean, we've seen it time and time out. I mean, Ian Entwistle, even my boy Husimar Palharis, who's on a completely different level than these guys, uh, even when shit didn't go his way, he would cover up and quit. There's just something about these leg lock guys, M.O. It's like a, it's like a Charles Dubronk situation, just only with leg locks. So, you know, as long as Richie doesn't get this leg lock, I see Luis Pena being way too long on the feet, being way too diverse, going to throw uh, nice straight punches, flying knees, teeps to the face, the whole arsenal, the spins, 
everything. So, yeah, I see this being a showcase fight for uh, Luis Pena here. And, uh, you know, similar to how Richie Smolin was covering up against Rice McKee and, you know, Rice, that jobber who actually lost last week, by the way, you know, couldn't get him out of there. I do think Luis will be able to get him out of there. So for that reason, I do have the big favorite, Luis Pena, to most likely get a stoppage win. But if uh, somehow the leg lock guy can survive, I see it being a 30-26. Now, next up in the women's flyweight division, we got Montana De La Rosa. She's minus 175. The comeback on Rachel Ostovich is plus 155. Now, uh, Shaq, I know Yancey and Max both pulled out of uh, Saturday's contest. You think a Hawaiian's going to win this weekend, my man? You know, I actually, I actually think uh, uh, my girl Rachel Ostovich is going to do this. You know, De La Rosa came out in her debut and... You know, her striking looked like it was still in that stage of, uh, you know, prehistoric female MMA where they just charge forward with their hands hands out, getting cracked with a bunch of punches and attempts to get a takedown. And, you know, Osovich, you know, she's kind of a striker. You know, she uh, she beat Melinda Fabian's ass, who, who uh, you know, we just saw her fight the last card against our South Korean girl, uh, Jeon Kim. So, uh, you know, Osovich is fairly skilled in my opinion she's still young you know Osovich my worry with her is you know she's a she's a super pretty girl so you know she might not be the toughest because you know I have seen her uh in one of her prior fights be up two rounds and then get cracked with the shot in the third round and you know kind of find her way out and she got knocked out um De La Rosa even though she's young she's way more experienced than pretty much most of those girls on that show and she's a she's a actually like a super accomplished high school wrestler but uh, I just think that Osovich could sit back here. I think she can play it safe and, you know, snipe this girl from the outside, similar like to how she did uh, Fabian. Because I think uh, Montana's boxing game at distance is uh, this. Uh, her boxing game at distance is up to par with Osovich. So I just see Osovich landing the better shots throughout the course of a three-round fight on the mat. I still think both girls are in that stage of armbar, armbar. You know, 50-50. Let's go back and forth uh, with these armbar attempts. So I think. Uh, Osovich gets her hand raised by decision. Look, I think it's pretty obvious who the bad, UFC bro. wants to promote in this matchup. And I'll tell you right now, it's not Montana De La Rosa. It's definitely uh, Rachel Ostovich. And, you know, even though Rachel is super inexperienced, at least she's shown me some good signs. You know, for example, in that fight with uh, Melinda Fabian on the Tough House, you know, she went in there against the Euro striker. She was landing the better shots on the feet. And then she took her down and, and she finished her right away. And obviously, uh, you saw... Uh, you saw how she performed uh, in that UFC debut as well. So now we're talking about you know two finishes in a row. Now she's got the chance to come out here against Montana De La Rosa, and Montana's a pretty tough chick as well. I just think that uh, you know she's probably not tougher than this Hawaiian girl. So I'm gonna go with uh, with Rachel Ostovich here to get the win. I, I know that was a that was probably my best breakdown ever, right, Shaq? <laughs> Next up, uh, it was initially supposed. I mean. I mean, you could just say that you want Osovich to win because she's hotter. <laughs> I know, right? So uh, next up, it was supposed to be an 185-pound matchup, but it's an 190-pound matchup because, you know, this fat-ass Julian Marcus missed weight by four pounds. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell the fans a little secret. You know, we might have been considering a little play on Alessio, but last time that we bet on a guy that, you know, was fighting an opponent that missed weight by four pounds or more, you know, shit didn't go our way, and uh, I'm not trying to play that game again because you know that these guys that miss weight, aside from Molly the Can McCann, they're uh, they're pretty much undefeated in 2018 minus her. So here's my question, man. Obviously, the line is minus and 150. Don't forget, don't forget about my boy Robert Whitaker too. 
Oh yeah, that's true too. But uh, between you and me, uh, that was only point two. So and between you and me, uh, Yoel won that fight too. But uh, you know, that being said, uh, Julian Marquez is minus one fifty. The comeback on Alessio Di Chirico is plus one thirty. So you think this weight advantage is gonna work in Julian Marquez's favor, or do you think he's gonna gas faster in this particular fight? You know, I'm actually gonna go with the latter part. You know, I think Marquez is you know one of these fighters that he's got a lot of hype but it's really just due to the fights being exciting but if you really look behind all that i mean the guy's really sloppy you know i mean he beat phil hawes by knockout i mean who who daniel who hasn't beaten phil hawes i mean cup swanson said he's a future (laughs) world champion cup swanson also (laughs) said he was smoking ortega the only thing cup swanson is smoking is uh some good-ass perp or kush. I'll tell you that right now, Shaq. Yeah, I think uh, Cub Swanson's taking too many punches to the head. But, you know, uh, I think Marquez is an exciting fighter that has a way of, you know, captivating a crowd. But I don't think he's a very efficient fighter. All I see is a guy that, you know, throws big hooks, tries to, you know, overpower his opponents. And when you're fighting Phil Halls and Darren Stewart, you know, guys that don't do their job a lot and don't win a lot, you know, that that will work out. But when you fight, you know, I know Alessio's 2-2. Two and two. Oh, between you and me, you know, he's he's about a uh, three and one, even though the spicy loss really uh, <laughs> doesn't count. But, you know, I think that uh, Alessio can be a little bit more cleaner in, in the midst of a brawl. I think Alessio's down to brawl as well. But I think Alessio, you know, will hit up will hit a double leg, you know, or, you know, just land the slightly better punches. Marquez gets real sloppy in there. We saw in the Darren Stewart fight. I mean, they were just on the fence, just trading sloppy back and forth. That's the type of fight he's interested in. I think Alessio's going to shoot a lot of takedowns in those type of positions, and I think he's the cleaner fighter, and I think that uh, he's the more experienced fighter, and I think it's first L time in the UFC for Julian Marquez. And, you know, the fact that he's missed the weight by the four pounds, which he's probably going to miss weight tomorrow as well, you know, it could be a factor, but at the same time, you know, in, in situations like these, you know, it's best to just stay out because, you know, it's like you're betting on a guy that missed weight. So, you know, his preparation wasn't 100% right. And then you're you're going to fade a guy that misses weight. I mean, if you lose that, you're going to be like, fuck, I should have stayed away. So these are one of those situations where I just like to sit back and enjoy which side wins. Yeah, Julian Marquez is a very exciting guy. I mean, obviously, uh, even when you go back and you watch his first professional defeat to Chris Harris and Bellator, those two were swinging some big haze at each other, Shaq. It's just that Julian Marquez has a very suspect gas tank, man. He comes out super hard the first two and a half minutes of every round, and then he pushes such a pace he can't keep it up. He's he, he just he's a gassing assassin. That's what he is, man. So I think his only chance to win this fight is to knock out Alessio DiCarico, but I think Alessio's got a serious chin on him, and not only that, I think he's the more well-rounded fighter. I think he can mix in the takedowns at the end of the rounds. I think uh, he comes from a better camp. I mean, also, my boy Alessio's in there training with Carlo Petersoli every single day. Those uh, those guys are on the come-up, so look out for them. I got Alessio DiCarico to beat Julian Marquez. Most likely a decision, but don't be surprised if he finishes him when Julian gasses. Now, next up in the women's flyweight division, we got Barb Honchak. She's minus 175. The comeback on Roxanne Modafferi is plus 155. Now, Shaq, can you believe someone that lost to Angela Magana and Lauren Murphy is minus 175 in 2018? She's also 40 years old, by the way. Yeah, but you know, back then, uh, don't have some respect for my girl, Angela Magana, bro. Back in the day, she, uh, <laughs> she used to uh, be a good fighter. But, you know, that same trick also beat Felice, Leslie Smith, Ansarov, and... 
you know, Mata Ferry that she's fighting right now. So, you know, uh, but the thing is, like you said, she's 38, 40 years old, and she hadn't fought for like four years before Tough. And when she came back, you know, it's a, this is going to be your typical, you know, soccer mom fight. You know, this is a, it's going to be which soccer mom's better. You know, Mata Ferry, you know, she likes to, you know, I'll give her her props. I mean, she used to be a bum and now she's, I guess she's doing her thing. And, you know, Honchak, Honchak finished my girl Jillian Robertson in the first round, bro. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, it's a 50-55. I'm going to actually take my girl Mata Ferry here with the upset. I think my girl Barb's uh, a little too old these days, but you know I, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, the the soccer mom with the better wins pulls it out. <laughs> yeah, look, I got Roxanne Modafferi as well. It's funny, I never thought I'd ever pick Roxanne Modafferi in a fight, but uh, I gotta do it here, man, because I think that uh, Barb Honchak is uh, too old now. I think uh, her time has passed, and even though it looks super ugly with Roxy, I mean, I gotta give credit where credit's due. When you come off a five fight losing streak. And then you've been putting up the kind of numbers that she's been putting up lately. Hey, she turned things around. I think that's credit to my boy John Wood. You know, he's getting a lot of these fighters right over there at Syndicate. And, uh, you know, not saying she's about to win no world title because, you know, obviously she ain't. But I think she can go out here and beat this uh, this uh, 40-year-old Barb Honchak. So, yeah, I'm going to pick uh, Roxanne Modafferi as well. Now, next up in the UFC featherweight division... We got Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. He's minus 130. The comeback on Martin El Toro Bravo is plus 110. Now, my boy Martin Bravo, uh, he got starched badly by Humberto Bandanai's last fight. But that being said, he ducked right into the head kick. And you know that if anyone can come back from a brutal knockout like that, it is a Mexican warrior. That's exactly what Martin Bravo is. So that being said, do you think he rebounds in style and beats the very experienced Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres? You know, this is a tough fight because historically... This is the type of fight Alex Bruce Leroy wins. You know, we know he's not going to beat any, you know, up-and-coming guys besides that uh, fluke win against uh, my boy Sergio back in the day. But <laughs> and, okay. and they're separated by two weight classes anyways. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? He fought a, a teenager that back then. And uh, let's be honest, it was a fluke. But props to Caceres. But, I mean, Caceres is a 500 fighter. You know, he's lost half his fights pretty much. Um, I think he's 9-9 nine nine in the UFC. Sometimes his, you know, weird – Movement works, and sometimes it's not. So I got to put him in that Serdinejo category. I got to put him in that Jason Knight category. He's a inefficient fighter where 50% of the time it might work out. So it's pretty much crapshoot with that guy. This is the type of fight he generally wins because, you know, generally he'll lose to the Knights, the Yairs, the the uh, Cisco Rivera's, all the rank guys, and then he generally takes a fight against, a, you know, a Rolando D or a Cole Miller or a a Kyung Hill Kang back in the day, like just like how he's fighting uh, Bravo. Now, Bravo, I thought he was a jobber before he got knocked out by Ben and I. Like, it shocked me that he got knocked out like that, but I thought he was a bum going into that fight. The thing is, here, I don't expect Alex Bruce Leroy after that ass whooping that he took against my boy Wang Guan back in uh, back in uh, December sometime in China. I don't know if he's ever going to be operating at a at a good frequency anymore. And the frequency he was operating already was a 50% frequency. So, you know, I'm actually going to take my boy Martin in this one. I, I think it's going to be super close to split decision, but I think Martin, if he can move forward, I think his punches are really light. I don't think they have a lot of power in them, but we saw that he, he likes to, you know, keep moving forward, push, put pressure on guys. And, you know, he folded my boy Claudio Puelas up 
And uh, I just think that Caceres is on his way out. It wouldn't shock me if he was able to edge out a decision because I do think he's just slightly better than Bravo in each aspect. But I, I think, you know, as he's creeping up to that 30-year-old mark, you know, he can't keep up that movement anymore. His style already wasn't efficient anymore. So I think it's a little brewing for upset. So I got Bravo. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about, you know, that 30-year-old mark for Bruce Leroy, it's more like 40 years old because the guy has had so many goddamn fights. He's been in there forever. And, you know, I want the fans to have to battle. Someone explain to me how one judge scored the Yair Rodriguez fight and the Wang Guan fight for Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres because he didn't win a fucking thing of either of those fights. He lost 4-1 to uh, Yair, and he lost 3-0 to Wang Guan. So, you know, I, I don't get it. But that being said, look. Bruce Leroy is a UFC vet. He's been in there with a lot of guys. He's flashy. He's fun to watch. But I think uh, Martin Bravo can come out here, put that Mexican pressure on him, set a pace on him. And as long as he doesn't get caught with something, as long as he doesn't go down, as long as his chin hasn't been severely diminished uh, by Humberto Bandanai's vicious shin, I think that uh, Martin Bravo can have success here. And I'm, I'm picking him to win this fight. Now, next up. In the featherweight division, we got an ultimate fighter finale fight. We'll keep it short and sweet. We got Brad Katona. He's minus 225. The comeback on Jay Cunicella, uh, or whatever the hell his name is, is plus 175. Now, yesterday you saw Jay, the old man, go out there and beat Tyler Diamond. You think he's going to get a second straight up upset here against uh, Brad Katona? No, I think my boy Katona is the more efficient fighter. I think we're going to see that age play a factor in this one. And, you know, the the old man, uh, he had a good ride, but I think it comes to an end. So I, I got uh, Brad Katona winning the ultimate fighter. Yeah, I got Brad Katona as well. I simply think that he's the younger fighter, the smarter fighter. I think he's very intelligent in there. I don't think he's going to gas himself out like Tyler Diamond's dumbass did. I think that Brad Katona can stay composed in there and go out there, either finish the fight or win a decision. So I got Brad Katona as well. Now, next up, the lightweight finale, we got Joe Gennetti's minus 115, excuse me, he's minus 150, the comeback on Mike Trezano's plus 120. Which way are you going? Yeah, you know, Gennetti actually trains at the same gym as uh, Manny Bermudez, and, you know, he's a long guy, southpaw, you know, he's got some tricky things. We know those long guys, it's always difficult to fight them just because of that length, and Trezano, I feel like, you know, he's a better puncher slightly and a little rougher, stockier guy. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he does with that length on the outside because uh, Giannetti, you know, I thought his level of competition on the show kind of was weak. I mean, he fought Gunther. He fought um, um, Zuniga. You know, I think uh, he fought the two jobbers of the show. So I'm going to go with my boy Trezano. I think uh, Trezano pulls out a decision. I think it's going to be a, clef- a close fight. I think both guys are going to be nervous. But I like Trezano from uh, Tiger Shulman's to get the win. Yeah, it's tough to pick against the Tiger Shulman's guy in this spot, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and pick against him, and I'm going to go with Joe Gennetti. He kind of reminds me of, like, Joe Lozon in his prime. You know, not Joe Lozon the punchy back, even though he was always a punching back shot. But look, he reminds me of uh, Joe Lozon in his prime. I think he can mix up the hands, and, you know, if, uh, if uh, Mike starts to shoot on sloppy takedowns, I think that Joe can capitalize, get a guillotine. I'm going to go with the longer guy here. I'm going to go with Joe Gennetti here. Now, next up, the main event of the evening. We got... Israel Adesanya is minus 130. The comeback on Brad Tavares is plus 110. Now, Shaq, great main event, super intriguing. Which way are you going? Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of Brad Tavares. I think he's one of the most well-rounded fighters in the game. I think, uh, you know, if there was any weakness, I mean, it would just been the, the two fights where he, you know, got caught in. But other than that, I mean, Brad can stuff takedowns. He can strike. He's a super well-rounded fighter. Now, um, 
it's interesting because Brad's last fight when he fought Kristoff, he opened minus 240, and then the public completely went against him and all took Jocko because, you know, they were thinking Jocko was faster, Jocko was going to use angles and the movement on him. And, you know, now it seems like it's the complete opposite. Now they're thinking Brad's going to, uh, you know, they saw him do well against that style, so they think he's going to do the same, here, the same thing here. But I think it's a completely different style. I think Israel's one of these guys where... You know, he's a, he's a part of the UFC hype machine. You know, he, uh, you know, I think Brad might have got suckered into taking this fight. Brad put a, together four wins against Talos Latis, who was ranked, Elias, who was ranked, Jocko, who was ranked. You know, he beat three ranked guys, and now he's, you know, stepping back to fight a guy that, like, really doesn't deserve it, but has all the potential skills to be something in the sport. We already know these, uh, I think Israel's a little bit different than a lot of the kickboxers I'm seeing because what I'm noticing is with these kickboxers like Gokhan and uh, Giga Chikadze or uh, Joe Schilling or any any other kickboxer, they seem like they're on the tail end of their athletic careers. I feel like Israel's in the prime of his athletic career. I think uh, his switch stance, his movement, I think what you guys were thinking in that Jocko fight might come to play out in this fight. I think Brad... Is a fantastic, amazing fighter, and there's definitely a path to victory. We saw Marvin Vittori get in on Israel's leg and on Israel's legs, and uh, you know, take him down that third round. But you know, I think physically, even though uh, you know the name value of Vittori might not be there, but I think physically that was a good test to see where Israel was at at that stage in his career. For Christ's sake, the guy was coming off a win against Mike Wilkinson. You know what I'm saying? That's a big step up. Even though Vittori's a, a fraud, I still think that's a big step up. Vittori's a guy that took down Antonio Carlos Jr. and pounded on him for a round two. So. Um, I think it was actually an impressive performance. I think uh, Brad's going to beat him. I think Brad's going to try to win a point-fighting point battle, battle. But to convincingly say that he's going to be able to bail himself out, taking him down and, you know, uh, in the fence to kill time, it might be enough to win three rounds. But I see the movement. I see uh, Israel creating a, a pulling-the-trigger issue for Brad. I see Brad, you know, f getting a little frustrated here. And I see him making a mistake. And then I see Israel just landing the more effective shots around a five-round period. I think this whole cardio thing about Israel is a myth. I think uh, he's actually got good punching volume. And I'm noticing everyone from his camp has good punching volume, like Shane Young, Dan Hooker, Israel, my boy uh, Brad Riddell. If you haven't seen him, uh, knock out Keenan Song on the local scene. So, you know, I'm actually going to take uh, Israel Adesnaya here by uh, decision. That's an interesting pick, Shaq. So you think that uh, Israel's going to win at least three of the five rounds and uh, go out there and get his arm raised by decision, huh? Yeah, man. I think that he, that uh, those angles, man, that he showed against Vittori, I feel like that was effortless. I feel like he wasn't even out of first gear for that. But, hey, Brad Tavares beats a lot of guys in first gears, too. I mean, we saw that absolute clinic he uh, put on my boy Tyler Slatis and Christoph Jocko, so. Yeah, you know, I'm not putting too much stock into this foot injury that people are talking about because for me, you know, I feel like every single fighter comes into the fight with some kind of injury. No one's ever 100%, so I'm not worried about his foot at all. But that being said, uh, I'm curious about his approach in this fight, you know, because a lot of people like to talk about how, you know, Brady does love his leg kicks and he is kind of a, a basic striker. But, I mean, we talk about basic striker, but he does keep his hands very high in the air. He's not a very easy guy to hit. I mean, only uh, Robert Whitaker and Tim Bosch, who both hit like trucks, have knocked this man out inside the octagon. Uh, unless we want to talk about that time Seth Bozinski, uh soccer kick knocked him out, which did happen, by the way, Shaq. But that being said, uh, I want to talk about Brad's wrestling because... 
we don't see it that much, but we have seen it when it's mattered. For example, in his fight with Elias, he took Elias down. In his fight with Nate Marquardt, he took Nate down. In his fight with Lorenz Larkin, who is probably uh, the best striker that he's beaten, he took uh, Lorenz Larkin down as well. So I, I do think that there's going to be a time here where he tries to mix in the takedowns. And I know that Israel got taken down in that third round against uh, Marvin, but... You know what, man? I feel like Israel shows the right instincts in terms of defending the takedowns, but there's certain things that's going to take a little bit longer time to develop. For example, when he's gassed out and he's off his back, that's what I really want to know. Because right now, his takedown defense is on point. His get-up game is on point. But, you know, we've seen that while he's fresh. I'm really curious to see what happens if he can't get Brad out of there. They do go to the deep rounds. And then Brad puts him on his back. I want to know if Israel can get up from those situations. But at the same time, I don't want to underestimate Israel because I really do see the skill. I do see the potential. But first L time is a real thing, my man. And this could be that first L. I mean, he's taking on a 16-fight veteran, ranked number 8 in the world. Don't get me wrong. Israel does have the skills. And if he goes out here and knocks Brad out, he's right there. But I think that Brad... You know, even though uh, people don't think he might have success with the leg kicks because Israel is a higher level striker, I disagree. I think that uh, he does have good timing on those leg kicks. I do think he can chop down Israel. And uh, as long as he doesn't go down, I think he's got a good chance to win this fight. So you picked uh, Israel by decision. I'm going to pick Brad by decision. So I think it's going to be a very intriguing battle. I'm going to go with uh, the the seasoned Hawaiian in this one. But I can't wait to see what happens. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, my boy Tiago Maheta was actually on reserve to fight in case someone had to pull out. So if someone pulls out in the next 24 hours, uh, you might see uh, Tiago Maheta in there. But if it's Brad versus Israel, I'm going to go with Brad. It won't it won't surprise me if Israel wins because I do think he's super talented and I don't want to underestimate him at all. But I also got to show respect to the Hawaiian warrior. So I'm going to go with Brad Tavares here. Now, Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for the tough finale? My fight to watch is Alessio versus Marquez. Uh, Alessio, I feel like, is the cleaner guy. And Marquez, is, uh, he just added a lot of drama to the fight. He missed weight by four pounds. So I'm interested to see that fight. Uh, he's also an exciting fighter. All of his fights are exciting. Either someone gets knocked out or it's either you know a sloppy back-and-forth brawl. So I'm interested to see how uh, Julian Marquez and Alessio get down uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by that fight as well. And if that's not my fight to watch, i got to go with the main event between Brad Tavares and Israel Adesanya because... I'm curious, is this too much too soon for uh, Israel Desanya? Is he biting off more than he can chew, taking on a guy like Brad Tavares? Or is he already on that level? I mean, is this our next superstar? Because, you know, people are out here comparing him to John Jones, which I think is a really stupid comparison because, I mean, the dude's not a wrestler for starters. And, yeah, I mean, what, they might look a little similar? That That's why you're comparing them? I, I just don't get the comparison. But that being said... When you're comparing someone to John Jones, they better come out here and fucking perform, man. And and Brad's paid his dues. Like uh, he's just beat a bunch of top fifteen guys. Now he's gotta take a, take a you know a quote unquote step back. But it is his first UFC main event, so in a way you could argue that the A side is Israel Adesanya. So, bottom line, my fight to watch is the main event. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC uh, Tough Finale? My fighter to watch is actually gonna be Brad Tavares because Brad's been a guy that I've been high on in all of his fights, and he's been a money train. Actually, it's just that, you know, I'm interested to see if he really got suckered into this fight because I felt like this was a fight that he really didn't have to take. I felt like he put in way more work and deserved way better. I wanted him to fight Chris Weidman, you know, when Weidman came back from uh, 
came back from his surgery. So I'm interested to see why he wanted to prove a point by fighting Israel. And I mean, if he beats if he beats Israel, I think it's a serious one because of course there's going to be people that downgrade the win if he uh, if he does get the win because you know Israel had only fought Victoria and Wilkinson. But if he does get the win, it's actually a super impressive win in my opinion. It's actually more of an impressive win than Jocko Talis analyzed. So um, if Brad wins this, I think he deserves a super big fight. Yeah, no, no questions asked. And my fighter to watch is uh, Luis Pena. Look, I initially picked him to win the entire show. He got injured after he put a clinic on my boy Martinez. He didn't get to continue. But now they're bringing in this scrub to take an L here against Luis Pena. And I think if he goes out and he shows anything that he showed on the regional scene or on that tough fight, that he could be someone to look out for in uh, the UFC lightweight division. Granted, this will be his fifth pro fight. He's got a long way to climb, but uh, definitely someone to look out for. So Luis Pena is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going out tomorrow, Friday, the tough finale. Uh, some good fights. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, we do have a max bet uh, on the Ultimate Fighter finale. But like we said yesterday on, two, on, uh, on the 226 Breakdown Show, you know, the odds did uh, get a little steam. But our 226 max bet is still within max bet range. And uh, we fully plan on going 2-0 this weekend. 110%. Sign up today. Email us at bestfightpicks at gmail.com and we'll get you squared away. And it's always Max Best Season. Yes, sir. So this is just a, a start of a great run. Well, I mean, the continuation of a great run because uh, next up after 226, we got Boise and uh, and the fun doesn't stop there. So sh make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Follow our Instagram at Best Fight Picks Official. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Shaq, will, Shaq and I will be back later next week to break down UFC Boise. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.